I just thank you, Lord, for this, just this privilege to stand before my family today and share from your word. I pray that what I share will be yours, Father, and thank you for the time of um, preparation and the way you've spoken into my life. And I just pray that you will just let something of what I share soak into the hearts of um, the people sitting here today. In Jesus' name, amen. The King's Word. When we think of the King's Word, we think of um, something you probably, you know, should obey and take seriously. And I just wanted, before I kick off, to give a little tip that when a farmer gives you his word of something, that you cannot always believe it. We had a farmer come to our house and he leads us to believe that he would care for our sheep. Yet... He let one away. He left the gate open and let it run down the road. So when Simon says to you that he is a farmer and gives you his word, think about it because it may not be right. So our sheep now lives down the road. And um, I promised him that I would, I would share that today. <laughs> okay. Um, this... The Word of God, how powerful is it? And we're just going to, to delve into it a little bit today. And I just, my prayer is that we, we are reminded of the power and the importance to protect that, the Word of God in our lives and to pass it on. And that's, yeah, just um, where I want to begin. So words. I personally love words. I love writing and I love just the idea of words and what it communicates. I'm in control of this, I just realised. Christian Today Australia, I don't know if any of you have heard of it. It's an online newspaper. And this is where I get to have fun with words. It's it's a, I guess, it's like a the age or the herald or the you know but it's a christian and their motto is simply let your yes be yes and your no be no and i counted the other day and i've written 38 comment articles for this website and i'm like oh wow that's yeah it's a really great platform but but they're just my words that i write and and my words aren't going to move mountains and no one ever promised they would. Someone might be challenged by what I write, encouraged to learn, but my, my words that I write in these articles, they're really limited. Some of my words may be inspired and guided by God, but they aren't the king's words. So that was just a little um, ad for Christian today. <laughs> How does the word of God make a difference in your daily life? How has the word directly impacted you? How often do you even open the King's word? Does it apply to your life? And what role does the Holy Spirit play when we read the word of God? I just love this verse from John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. So when we open the word of God, the spirit of truth comes through, reveals so much in it. And um, hence impacts our life if we let it. So just, yeah, just thinking about that, what in the past week... How has the Word of God impacted your life? Did you open the Bible once a day? 
Not at all. A few times a day, did you just have a verse just just in your heart the whole week that you just couldn't let go? It's going to be different for all of us. We're all on a different journey, but that's just um, one of the challenges for today. Okay, um, this is a bit of a random slide. My walking mother. Now, I have just started tutoring some high school students and they are foster kids and it's been an opportunity that just because my life wasn't quite busy enough, God just plopped this small business in my lap. So I turn up at tutoring uh, this week and the youngest, the grade eight girl, presents her German homework for me to help her with. Now, we had to write sentences about her family, basically, so grade eight German in Dane, you know, <laughs> all this. <laughs> and um, she had to write about three family members and what their hair colour is and all that sort of thing. And so we went through and asked her, what do you want to say? And this is a foster girl. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what's she going to call her mum? Her foster mum. And she wanted to to portray her as her stepmum. So I guess when she got up to share this German presentation in class that I was helping her with, that, yeah, maybe not embarrassing that she was a foster kid or just wouldn't have to explain that. So she said, I want to call her my stepmom. And so we're researching what the word for stepmom is in German and going through this. And so we came up with um, this word and it just, um, I sort of thought through the time I was tutoring her, it doesn't really, I wonder really what that actually means in German because we, we researched step and then mother and then we put that together and okay, that's good. And then when I looked it up, I said at the end of the session, we really need to go back to that stepmother thing. I don't want you to be embarrassed when you get up in the front of the class. And, and what it actually meant was, yeah, my, my walking mother or my tread mother, so to take a step. And um, she's like, are you serious? I don't want to say that in front of my class. So anyway, we went back and we, we found it means a schritt mother or something um, is the actual word for stepmother in German. And it just made me think about just the power of words and that one little distorted meaning in another language, just what that, you know, how that could have embarrassed um, her as it was. She was already struggling with the concept of mum and and just the the meaning of understanding, I guess, the importance of what God is trying to say through his word and how sometimes we sort of focus on the fact that through the, the Hebrew and Greek and the, the other languages that we feel, oh, we don't, we don't really get what he first meant. And, but but through, um, through, I guess, the Holy Spirit, he's revealing the meaning to us and, and part of us reading his word and letting it soak in is, is bringing through the, the real meaning of um, what the words are, are trying to say. So if we can get past not worrying too much about, um, yeah, the, anyway, we'll just move on. <laughs> okay. The Old Testament took shape slowly over a period of more than a thousand years and many inspired writers, editors and scribes were involved in its making. First, stories of creation were passed on by word of mouth. Later, after the Hebrew alphabet had been developed, these stories began to be set down in writing and laws, prophecy and poetry were added. To fully appreciate how this happened, we must understand the true nature of the oral tradition. It's so far outside what we understand today. And this wasn't just a game of Chinese whispers. In fact, in Chinese whispers, it's meant, you know, you're meant to have fun and someone always tries to 
change the message through who was that person, always pretend they didn't hear properly and then convey in a totally wrong way. <clears throat> in the ancient world, however, passing along information by the word of mouth was far from a game. Memorization was a major means of education. It had to be. An education that included reading and writing was only available to the wealthy minority. But that doesn't mean those without formal education were not intelligent and informed. The Jews would memorise whole books of the Old Testament just by listening to it being read to them. They were taught to memorise everything they had heard from their teachers. They were taught to memorise it word for word and then check it for accuracy. In a world where few people could be taught to read or write, accurate memorisation was important. And in even earlier times, it was absolutely crucial. In the beginning, there was no written word. There was only the spoken word. God created the world by speaking words into the void. God's earliest worshippers could not write down their thoughts or experiences about God. They couldn't upload their article on Christian Today and tell everyone how they're feeling about God. But they could speak them. And speak them they did, long before they invented their own writing system. And even a long time afterwards, Hebrews told and retold stories, proverbs and riddles, prayers, laws, poems and songs, many of which now make up the Bible. Abraham would have engaged in a lot of such storytelling. When he left Ur and moved to Canaan, he would have wanted to preserve memories of his old life. When um, Belle and I were growing up, we moved around a lot and we had videos and photos to remember, you know, our past things. Mum and Dad would, would always you know, remember those people that we'd left back there and we have this long trace all around Australia of where we've been. And, and for Abraham, he'd moved from this place to another place. He had no videos, he had no photos to remind his kids of where they'd been. Abraham would have had desired to convince his family and new neighbours that the Lord was the one true God and that the many gods being worshipped around them were lifeless idols. He would have repeated stories from his time and a long time before. He would have shared of his calling and God's promises. Later, his son and grandson would have continued these stories and added their own experiences. When their descendants were forced by famine to move to Egypt, where they later became slaves, they would have had even more reason to preserve their heritage and cling to their beliefs as part of their survival. The Hebrews were not the only ones to pass along stories orally. A number of ancient Babylonian narratives parallel those in the Bible. Some of their stories tell of creation, of a heaven and earth, and of battling gods, eventually ruled by one God. And some of the earliest Assyrian writings that have been discovered talk of a tree of life, an evil sermon, serpent, and recount how a man survived a flood by building a boat and bringing animals aboard, abroad. Aboard. So isn't it amazing how Babylonian, Assyrian and the Hebrew text, they all line up and they all tell the story of the, the, same, the same beginning. Storytelling was not merely for entertainment. It was a way of preserving the culture of the people, of letting them know who they were and how they differed from their neighbours. The stories reminded the Hebrews of what made them special. As such people told their stories, they dared not wander from the point or any essential truth. If they tried, the listeners would know as they had heard the recitations often enough to be familiar with the content and would have not tolerated any deviations. After all, it was their faith and culture that was at stake.
God reveals himself in simply amazing ways through creation, but God also revealed himself and what he is like to real people through real events and relationships. In the process, he revealed a lot about his true answers to the ultimate questions of life, as well as his standards for moral and ethical behaviour. All this occurred over a span of 40 generations covering 1,500 years, so from the time of Moses right through to the um, later years of the Apostle John in 90 AD. These people preserved the records of God's revelations through the spoken word as well as the written word in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek. Approximately 40 different authors all came together from all walks of life. They were kings, they were peasants, they were philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen and scholars. And they carefully recorded this body of literature on three different continents. And they wrote in a variety of genres, including history, poetry, law, biography, prophecy and and personal letters. All these... All these people throughout the Bible have all, all come together. This collection we now call the Bible, and it is a truly unique phenomenon. One of the qualities that makes it unique is that it carries one theme and one message from the very beginning to the very end. If we collected, say, um, if we gathered 40 people throughout Australia from each state and told them they needed to write on this topic over a period of time, they would come from all different genres, time periods and walks of life. They would be written by explorers, slaves, plantation owners, fishermen, Indigenous Australians, uni students and the rest. They would be written in the various languages and dialects of those people in the different, different areas throughout Australia. What do you think are the chances that those 40 people would all agree on, the, on much of the, the content? Probably very little. But in contrast, all the biblical authors agree on everything. They wrote with consistency and of, of theology without too many real contradictions. And when we look into those contradictions, there are actually very few that are open to debate. And there are good theories to even reconcile these. The uniqueness of the Bible alone speaks loudly for its authenticity as a special revelation of truth to mankind. So that revelation had to be communicated by God in some way. The authors were inspired as they wrote it down. The word inspiration, it it actually means to breathe into. Timothy used this word to describe the divine inspiration of Scripture when he wrote, all Scripture is God-breathed. So what does this actually mean? Did God kind of grab their hand and kind of make it write his words like a puppet or a robotic hand. No, he didn't move the pen. Neither were the human authors secretaries or PAs who sort of sat there and waited for the next message from God. In, sometimes this happened and, and God, they had, did have to dictate but very few times. Secondly, the human author was given the truth by God and he wrote it down in his own words, in his own writing style, in his own language and from whatever educational background and vocabulary he had. Even though the whole project was very much a human process, it was supernaturally overseen by God to make sure that the the human author communicated exactly what God wanted. Liberal scholars tend to downplay the supernatural source and activity of God in this process and they overemphasise the human aspect of the process. And then you've got conservative Christian scholars who tend to downplay the human aspect so much on the supernatural. And these extremes are both not so good. We must see the equal importance of what 
God spoke, the divine source and the human source of the Bible. They were both understood and held in balance by the author themselves, and we must follow their example. And thirdly, they composed and recorded without error. Just because, because God used imperfect humans to record his revelation, it doesn't mean they might have misunderstood or used the wrong word or introduced error in some other way like I did in my German, my German PowerPoint. Like, God didn't do that. He didn't go, oh, I actually meant to say this. What they wrote was the truth. It's kind of later on we're questioning it because of the, the Hebrew, but it was when it was written there... It was exactly what God wanted to communicate. Yes, sometimes meaning is a little lost because English, it's hard to find exact words that relate to um, English. But this doesn't, it doesn't mean error. It's just lacking sometimes a deeper understanding of what perhaps the original authors had meant. <clears throat> what is exciting about all this, and it's just information, it's just, is that we know when we read scripture, we are reading what God intended to communicate to us. When we pick up our Bible, God intended to communicate all those words to us. Timothy went on to say, the scripture has a purpose for us. It is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Timothy was spot on because it's the word of the king. So let's look at um, what the Bible says about the word of the king and how um, what that means. So in Ecclesiastes 8... 1 to 5, if you've got your Bibles um, open to that. So Ecclesiastes 8, 1 to 5. And it's a short piece of text that talks about obeying a king's command. So I'm just going to read it and then we're just going to have a look at a couple of the verses and see how we correlate that, correlate that to our, um, our life today. So starting at 1. Who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes his hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. And the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. So we'll just um, stop there and let's have a look at the first verse. This is from the Amplified Version. So who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his countenance is changed. So this is a verse that just sort of precedes these verses about obeying the king. It's not actually part of that section, but... I just found it interesting that, that that word wisdom comes through and leads us into the king's command, So, which kind of makes us think, well, king's command and wisdom kind of go hand in hand. How do we gain this wisdom? What does this verse say that having wisdom gives us? It makes our face shine. There's a depth. There's a, there's a a change of our countenance. It's not hard. It's, it's soft because of the depth of wisdom. 
verse 2. This is from the King James Version. I like all sorts of different <laughs> versions sometimes, again, because I'm, I'm a lover of words, just the different way it's portrayed, and I know a lot of other people would be similar. Uh, verse 2 in the King James Version says, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandments, and that in regard to the oath of God. Primarily, we honour government authority for the sake of our oath to God or or in the past or when we're in court, you know, we, we um, ple- pledge an oath. It appears that also the Jewish princes and chiefs, they took an oath of fidelity to their king. Um, and this happened to David, to Joash, to Sol- and, and to Solomon. But for, I guess, for our context, I just wanted to bring that word oath out because it's not um, in a new... A new um, the New Testament. It's, a, it's out of our obedience that we that that we obey the king's command. Our obedience to our king. Okay, verse three, the message version. Don't worryingly second guess your orders or try to back out when the task is unpleasant. You're serving his pleasures not yours. So when we're given the command of the king, kind of go, oh yeah, I'm all, all in for that, right, king? I'm going to obey you. I'm going to, to live up to the, the oath or the obedience that I've... And then you sort of go, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> I'll just try and... I might just try and get out of that because it's a little bit hard or a little bit confronting or, or, or whatever that situation might present. But remembering it's... God's word that's final. The king's word is final. You're serving what he wants, not what you want. <clears throat> okay, so this is the verse that um, I feel is a key um, to what we're looking at. I just want to read these three different versions. King James, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? Amplified, for the word of a king is authority and power. And who can say to him, what are you doing? And from the message, the king has the last word. Who dares say to him, what are you doing? Where the word of the king is, there is power. The king of a region or a nation rules by decrees and they can't be challenged. We, we like to challenge our, regularly the, the decrees of our land, but back in, we sort of step back historically, um, you know, Tony Abbott was not there and there, there was a king and you, you would obey him. Everyone under the dominion of the king must act based on the king's word and disobedience resulted in severe punishment and even banishment from that, that region. The king described in this verse, he doesn't have to be everywhere to enforce his words. His word was as good as living and everyone is automatically bound to obey it. Not, bowing, not obeying is rebellion. The word of the king, though, empowered the people to take action. The word gave them the right to defend themselves as they faced imminent, an imminent fear or a threat. So if, if the king, the kings through, through history, had such power and influence, how much more authority does the word of our king have, our almighty God have, the word that was directly given by him? His, rever- his word reveals who he is. It reveals that he is the beginning, that he is the end. It reveals his love. It reveals his power. 
It stands as absolute truth. God told the children of Israel not to make any image to represent him, saying they'll be a snare. They were not allowed to subject who God is through the prism of their own imaginations. They were supposed to focus on the word that he spoke to them and get to know him through what he was saying and through what was what um what their leader their godly leaders were saying from God. His word is unchanging and without the word of the king without this we are left to our own wayward imagination. We create a god that just fits fits our fancy, fits whatever we like. Where the word of a king is, there is power. The word of that king who rules all all the world, where his word of of doctrine comes, not in word only though, it comes in power. His written word is quick, it's powerful. The word of his gospel is preached, is the power of God for salvation. It's accompanied with power to enlighten dark minds, to quicken dead sinners, to unstop deaf ears, to soften hard hearts and deliver men from the slavery of sin. It transforms men by renewing their minds. It comforts and establishes saints, all of which is attributed to the word and are the effects of the power that comes through it. So it's not just a command. It's not just you should do this. There's so much power behind it. And the last um, few words, I just love it. Who are you to qu- who are we to question? <laughs> it's actually there's um there's a f- three different places throughout the word. I think one's in Daniel, uh, Isaiah, and Daniel, where this same "Who are you to question?" is is said. If I, I was imagining while I was sort of looking through this, if we were kind of in the, th- the throne room or a courtroom or something, and um, and so Jesus was was sitting there and gave us, you know, pulled out the word and said, do this or uh, go preach to this person, go and heal that person. And I can just imagine myself standing going, nope, nope. Well, I'd hate to imagine myself saying, no, sorry, God, no, no, sorry, I can't. I'm in this amazing throne room. Jesus is sitting there giving a command to me and I'm going, why? Why would I want to do that, God? Why? Who? You know? And and I, and who am I to question the command He's given us? Commands He's given us, and and it's all through Scripture that the the way we should live and the the guidance in certain situations, and and that when He does prompt us through His Word to do something, so many times I'm like, no, I'm too scared. That's too hard. I, I can't do this. Who who am I to do that? But but he, He's it's his authority and his power, and um, I am, I am nobody to question that. And the final, um, just the verse I wanted to focus on there, just really briefly, was from the Amplified Version in verse five. Whoever observes the king's command will experience no harm. And a wise man's mind will know both when and what to do. So there's that wisdom coming back through there. Obeying the king's command brings that wisdom and we'll know both when and what to do. And sometimes that's sort of you going, yeah, well, the, the word doesn't tell me, you know, which, which day I should go out and, you know, doesn't give me my... But it, it, 
It's a guide and through the Holy Spirit, it reveals how that does apply to you in this very day. You only need to ask God to reveal it. Um, and we are protected. The word protects us. It's, it's, a, it's, it's called the sword of the Spirit. It's, a, it's given to us and as, a, as a weapon and as an offensive weapon. Um, and and we, we will come to no harm by obeying the, the King's command. So the final, um, the final area of the King's Word I want to um, just look at today was the King's Word and how it related to Jesus, our King. He was our King. Jesus was the Word, but He wasn't just the Word. He spoke and lived out the King's Word throughout His life. Jesus didn't walk around and say it's a little outdated what those Hebrews kind of. Thought, thought up. I'll I just change it a little bit. I'm the word, so surely I can just. No, he, 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 he said as it was from from those um, areas of the Old Testament. He spoke the word with his own lips. Jesus operated in the world as king, ruling over sickness and demon by his words. He told his disciples, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy and nothing shall by any means come to harm you. That's in Luke chapter 10. We are to crush the powers of the enemy with the spoken word like Jesus did. It is so powerful. In the spiritual Often we don't see how, how, how the spoken word comes into effect, how it is converted into spiritual power, influencing angels or demons. It takes the operation of faith when we speak to effectively use spiritual authority. It also means fear or doubt will stop us from utilising it. Oh, I'm not sure if the Bible is really true, but I'll just sort of share this verse with you because I think it sounds good. So it's from the words, I must be good. So, so sometimes that, that doubt in ourselves and I just trust that I've even reminded um, you today of where the Word of God has come from and how powerful it is. It's not, it is something you can stand on. It's the rock. You can believe it. <clears throat> the Bible says that angels respond to the word of God in Psalm 103 verse 20. So when words of authority are released by faith, by Christians, angels go into action. Jesus spoke the king's word in Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, Okay, it is written, it is written in the King's word. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord God to the test, the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. 
All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. That's just, that's powerful. That's Jesus using the sword of the Spirit to its full potential. That is our example. He And the angels were there. The angels were moved into action because Jesus spoke the written word of God and used it against the enemy who had no, who, who was, Deemed powerless because that spoken word, because of the power of the spoken word. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Where the king's word is, there is power. Don't doubt it. There's, um, there's a few things that, that happened. Um, well, what we can take for our own lives from what Jesus did. Know who we are in Christ. And take up the sword. And in Ephesians it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the helmet of salvation, knowing who we are in Christ, that depth of faith with the sword of the Spirit, it kind of goes together. That's in the same sentence in Ephesians six seventeen. Jesus knew who he was. He was the Christ and he, he knew it. Jesus had the word in his heart. It was ready to use. It was ready to refer to. It was ready to guide him. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus knew the written word of his father in his heart. He had it ready to speak when that attack came. The sword of the Spirit was ready to fight the offensive fight. Jesus used the word as an offensive weapon for the word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's from Hebrews 4.12. The word of the king has power and authority. So what does this all mean for us? It's all well and good. It's all great. They, yep, they had this oral, oral culture. That's really great for them. And yep, cool. Yep, got my Bible. Open that daily because I should have my 10-minute quiet time. Very important. Right, read a quick verse. Good. Try and focus on that through the day if I possibly can find a space in my brain Focus on, yep, okay, I can do that. That's sometimes how I live. Rushing from the next thing to next thing. The word's just kind of there if I have time. But the word of God is trustworthy. Not like the farmer's word. (laughs) 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 And has withstood the test of time. The... The scrolls that have been found, the discoveries that have been made that confirm exactly what the Bible says. The the Babylonian Assyrian texts confirm the word of God for crying out loud. Like how how can we even doubt it? And when um, and knowing that and being sure of our faith in that, surely that's going to give us the boldness that we need out there, where where the the dark the dark parts of this world need the light of His word. 
If Jesus himself resisted the devil by speaking out the word of the king, then how much more should we need to do exactly the same thing? Because we're not Jesus. We, we're not and we never ever will be. We're striving to, you know, in, in, his, in his example. So if Jesus needed to speak the word out to fight the enemy, gosh, I really, really do. And in my daily life or in when I hit those battles and my mind just can't stop questioning or that doubt sets in or I've just got a really challenging task and I don't know how I'm going to teach my grade 10 Liberian student algebra because it was that many years ago. When I hit those challenges, I can rest on the Word of God. Study the Word. Allow the Holy Spirit's revelation Search out the meanings. Go and look at what the Hebrew word meant. Go and see what it was translated into English. It's really interesting sometimes. And and then you go, oh, I really thought that verse meant that. And, you know, it's okay to to understand that. But there is a whole lot more meaning that we can gain. And, And we are supposed to be studying the scriptures. Look at the historical example of what our forefathers and ancient, the Israelites, did. They learnt it, they studied it, they hid it, they, it, was, it was a part of them and we've lost that in our Australian culture and that's not our fault but, but the, what they're doing in his kids, memorising verses, that is not just old school, Sunday school, that is today, that is for today and, and parents re- make sure we're asking those, the kids you know, what, what that memory verse is today but it's not just for the kids, it's for us Hide the word in our heart so that when you need it tomorrow, you can, you can declare it with your lips, the written word of God in that situation or in, you know, bless that person or wherever you need to use the word of God because it's powerful. And it's just, I've just got a um, three-word sort of summary. Know it. Know who you are. Hide it, the wisdom, that depth of wisdom, that Ecclesiastes 8.1, that it changes your countenance when you know the, when, when that word is deep inside you and use it, obey, because the word has told us to obey the king's command. So if we're going to sort of go, well, should I, should I obey what God's told me to do? Then we are that person questioning the command in that throne room. And I don't want to be that person. I really don't because that would be embarrassing in front of all the other chiefs and priests. And here I am going, I'm not really sure if I can obey that God. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person who says, yes, Jesus, I will obey you. I, 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 want, to, um, I want to obey the word of the king. And just as um, the the music team just play the final song and they're going to play they're going to play a song that is the word of God the lord's prayer that is the words of Jesus and i i'd just like for you to um take your bible open it to a verse that maybe god planted in your mind this week and you never got a chance to sit down and look at maybe what that meant or just a verse that's been going around in your head all week or even just this morning, God's put a little verse of encouragement or something that you need to obey tomorrow when you go out or something that you need to declare with the word. And I just want you to sit by yourself and just soak in and look, maybe look, um, 
to a new revelation of what that verse might mean in your life today because of, because of now being reminded. And it's only a reminder I'm bringing today. I'm not telling you anything new. I know that. But I'm reminding you of the power and authority in this word. Let's protect it in our life. Let's pass it on to those around us, to our children. So let's press your screen on and bring up a verse. Open the word. Just, just in this time as they're playing this final song, let's be reminded of the power of the word of your King.